This is such a fun day to be bringing you this episode with Melissa Lunardini from what was formerly called Grief Coach and is now called Help Text. We didn't plan it this way. It just so happened. I got a formal email, so we're just lucky to be on the cutting edge. You're going to love this conversation. You're going to love learning about this particular grief service, and I think it's going to maybe give you some way to think forward about what kind of grief support you like to provide to other people. Please remember if you're enjoying the podcast, it is so helpful to have you go over to Apple Podcasts, rate us, make a comment, and just let people know about the show. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I have the honor today of sitting down with Melissa Lunardini, who is the head of bereavement at Grief Coach. Thank you so much for having me today, Megan. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So I am really, I'm like wildly excited about this because I have been in the world of grief and loss for a very long time. I've been sort of an active advocate and I met Emma, who is your woman in charge and the innovator who brings us grief coach, Emma Payne. I met her uh, through other colleagues and immediately was like, wait a second, what you do? What? And I just can't wait to talk to folks who don't already know that this exists because I feel like what you guys are offering us is the gap, something to fill the gap that everybody who has either been bereaved or is trying to support or bereave someone who is bereaved, they'll tell you like, oh, I wish we had this. So can you take us into the world of grief coach and sort of tell us what you guys do and maybe also how you came to be called to work in an organization where you get the title head of bereavement, which is quite a, quite a title. Very big shoes to fill. I will tell you this. I, I always tell people that Emma is like the best networker I've actually come to know. She reached out to me via LinkedIn back in 2018 when this kind of the genesis of grief coach was coming to be. And at that time I was actually managing bereavement centers, summer grief camps and school-based programs. That's been a part of my long history of direct care in the bereavement space. And she reached out to me and was just like, hey, I have this new innovative tool service. It's called Grief Coach. And basically we offer grief support via text. And without question, I instantly thought of all of the barriers that come to surface for me providing direct service and thought, absolutely, this makes complete sense. Why wouldn't we extend somebody the option to get support via text message? It just makes sense to me. You know, is it going to be as, you know, probably as robust as one-on-one or grief groups? Probably not, but it still is able to offer this sense of support and helpfulness for for grievers, right? And so at that point, I was just like, how can I help and how can I get service and what can I do to be a part of this mission? Because to me, it just made sense that this is the direction in which we were going. Mind you, this was pre-pandemic as well, right? right? And so so it was sort of kind of already the direction in which I saw our industry heading. Yeah. And the pandemic really was just the catalyst to it. And so for, for listeners, Grief Coach texts 
simply offers ongoing expert grief support after someone dies that literally comes straight to your phone delivered to you. And it's customized based off of your loss and a bunch of other variables that you would actually put in as you sign up. And we're able to not only text the griever twice a week for an entire year, inclusive of important dates and holidays and anniversaries and things that are meaningful to the griever, but also add in to supporters so we can coach and mentor those supporters on how best to show up for that griever on an ongoing basis. I mean, it's just insane what you just described because, you know, again, grief and loss is so hard. And I feel as though what you're describing and what Emma was doing, which was a little before 2018, but the, but the, you know, the real unfolding of it was sort of, you were building the arm in the arc right before the flood, right? Like, you know, you, you have, you all had the idea. And I like what you said, which was, you know, it may not be as robust, but that to me, I mean, I, I get grief coach texts. My impression is not that it's meant to supplant that. It's not that you aren't, you know, and you won't need, you know, it's not AI. You won't need your real life friends anymore. I say this a lot, like I think of particularly people who are in fresh grief and I think people are in fresh grief, meaning their body is dysregulated and they're having physical symptoms for at least a year when it is, you know, Mm -hmm. a a centered loss, someone who's sort of a, a fundamental tent pole that keeps your tent up. And in my experience with that, if people asked me every day, everywhere I went, how I was doing, I still wanted a little bit more love and attention, not because I'm a narcissist and I need everyone to care about me, but more because I, every time I went outside, I felt like I was inventing a new way forward. Mm. I felt like I had never walked this path really before. And I needed people to like clap. I posted something on my Instagram the other day when Dave Grohl had the concert for Taylor Hawking. And for, for listeners who don't know what that is, the guy who was in Nirvana and the Foo Fighters, they lost their drummer to suicide. And they had this concert and the concert was an amazing musical concert, but there's this gorgeous moment where Dave Grohl breaks down. He's playing with Taylor's son. Taylor's son is on the drums and it's this really emotional moment and he's singing and he starts to cry. And then I don't know, 60,000, hundred thousand people in the audience clap for him. And I, I feel like I'll never recover from that because also knowing that the Taj Mahal is, you know, that it's a, it was built because someone's beloved wife died. Like, yeah, it's like that. It feels like that. So the notion that you guys are, are taking something that is, we're all getting texts all day anyway, and saying, we understand that grief is this big and this hard, and we're going to do this. I mean, honestly, kind of simple thing so that you can find your way forward. It really is. And it's so funny because just those examples makes me want to share an example of an actual subscriber who has now become one of our, our, our biggest fans, essentially. And he's a male. And he was actually, somebody was gifted him a subscription of Grief Coach. And his name is Mark Bussey. And we have video testimony of him because he's such a great example of this. He talks often in his video of his video testimony about the stigma that men in particular have to carry and, and often how they actually receive support from others around them, which is 
very minuscule really in nature. But he said, he said that um, getting the messages like helped him not only find the words, but also find the courage to say something to other men who were grieving. And I thought like, wow, what a beautiful way that a text could just literally, when you talk about how can, how can you grieve as a verb? Yeah. Right. How do you put something in action that a text could be a catalyst to make you find the words and then find the courage to actually extend those words to a friend? And he goes on to say something about the fact that grief is so lonely. Yeah. And, you, you know, when a text comes, it gives you the courage to pick up the phone and just tell your grieving friend, hey, I noticed that it's like their birthday coming up. Like, how are you? And he goes, for me, that's that's how you show and tell somebody that you love them. That's right. And I'm just like blown away because he goes, grief coach literally helps you love on others. Uh, well, you know, and the other thing that I think about, because again, I want you to talk a little bit about, you said it in, in the description. I think Emma talks about it. It's not just like random ass texts that come out at you. They are actually informed by people. And, and I talked to lots of different groups about this, you know, simply because you have personal experience with grief doesn't actually mean that you should be guiding forward with your personal experience because we're all really different. So yes, that is a kind of wisdom, but the kind of wisdom that your folks are offering is more like a collective wisdom. So can you say a little bit about who does the texting for you and how you know to put together these texts? Because again, I can't really... I use text as a modality as a human and as a therapist, but your texts are not the average texts. No, it's one of my favorite things, actually. You know, you think about like when you yourself are bereaved or somebody that you love, you want them to get the best possible care there is out there, right? Whether you can, whether the reality is, is that you can afford it or not, or that you can have access to them or not, right? If you're, if your child had a, a life-limiting illness, you're going to do whatever it takes to put them in front of the best possible doctors known to, to man, right? And you're, you're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. You know, whether or not that's feasible is the other question, right? So what I love about it is that in a very unique way, we're able to put grievers in front of the best experts that grief has to offer. And and they actually don't have to do anything. It's like experts are showing up at their door going like, let me tell you about all of the wisdom that I've gathered in my 25 plus years of doing this work on this planet and working with you know, diverse populations and really just here are my distilled like pieces of wisdom that I'm gonna offer to you and in hopes that at some point in your grief journey, they will become meaningful for you. Yeah. And so we're pulling from people who specialize in different types of loss, whether that be widowed parents or child loss or parental loss, spousal loss. We're pulling from people who have experience with people of color, LGBTQ, immigrant and refugee populations, people who understand complicated relationships after somebody dies. We're putting people in front of you that just really get grief. You know, we have Megan Devine as a contributor. We have Hope Edelman for long ago loss. Although a lot of our subscribers sign up in this acute early phase of grief, we do have people that are three, four, five, seven, ten 10 years out signing up. And we have an expert 
like hope that is crafting, helping curate messages for us to deliver to somebody. So that way everybody has access to an expert. It, no, nothing is off the table for a griever at this point. I think that's so important because I think what can happen, you know, first of all, I don't need to tell you this because it's at the base of everything that you're doing, but there's just not enough support. You know, it's pretty stunning to me how lackadaisical the, let's say the, the upper levels of understanding and funding, whether we say it's the government or universities or professional organizations. But in my mind, like, you know, if someone had given me the case to the castle, I would have been running around trying to incentivize anyone, coaches, therapists, pastors to train in grief work, because you and I know this is the, it's the issue that is in the workplace and the schools. It, you know, we're, we're acting as though it's mental health. It's becoming a mental health issue because we haven't been able to attend to it as the sort of mother load of developmental issue that really grief just is, which is like, it happens to everybody. We just, with COVID, we all happen to have so much of it all at one time. And what I think your, I think your, your service is offering is like, you know, you kind of get to skip some of the research stuff. Like you have Shelby Forsythia and Hope's work and Megan's work. These are people who you can't always get the books in stores. So these are the folks that were, whose names we already know, who we already admire, who are already offering resources. So we know that we get to plug right in, but also, and Emma and I have had this conversation directly, you know, I do traumatized loss and partly that's from my own personal experience of having PTSD after my mom died, but I actually did it before as well. So it was just a prescient thing for me that I already knew what the treatment needed to look like when I was suffering from my own PTSD. But the people who come see me are looking for the needle in the, in the haystack, the person who does treatments for grief. It's, it's become a mental health issue by the time they're coming to my office there is a wide variety of need well before that, that is not being met. That could be met by church groups and by coaching and by, but folks can't find it. We don't have the like networked resources. There aren't enough. And for many people, the hundreds of dollars that that costs and also the time commitment. And also that really puts it outside of their capacity to, to even really consider. So they might identify, gosh, I really wish I had more support. I don't really know how to grieve. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Nobody taught me. But if my option is to, I don't know what everyone tells me, go see a therapist or talk to my pastor, I can't get access to those people. They're such a long line. And when I do, sometimes it's essentially unaffordable. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I like when I hear you talk right now, I'm thinking infrastructure and, you know, we're we're a little slow for developing bereavement, a public model for bereavement care in terms of infrastructure. Other countries across Europe, you know, have already fully established a public health yeah. approach to to bereavement care. And really that approach is what Grief Coach actually hangs kind of its hat on. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with the public health approach to bereavement care, it's a multi-tiered pyramid, if you will, that, that really suggests that there are three kind of operating tiers. The first tier, which is, you know, general public, most people who are grieving will actually fare well in their grief process and, and 
maybe only need some information that they can find online to kind of normalize their grief experience. They might lean on some family and friends and that be sufficient amount of support. And then there's tier two, which is a smaller percentage of people who actually need a little bit more than that. They need a little bit more than basic information and family and friends. And so this is where they might elect to do some group or, or even some one-on-one -on -one support. Right. And Grief Coach actually falls in a tier one and tier two portion of this pyramid. And then there's the, the, the tallest part of the pyramid, which is where people like you're suggesting that come to see you are having really complex reactions to what is going on in their life and, you know, grief and whatever else is, is happening. And they actually need way more intensive forms of support and care, right? And although grief coaches can be supplementary in all three of those tiers, it's primarily most useful as a tier one, tier two intervention, because it really does kind of blend a couple of those nuanced things. It provides education, it provides tools, coping strategies, resources, so it sends you to reading materials, and then it brings in those, your support people, and then we educate them. We build grief literacy, so that way we're not only educating kind of the masses as we go along, but we're also really making sure that the griever themselves is getting supported, and we're supporting the supporters who are just so critical. Yeah. And, and again, what I think is really important, and I would encourage people particularly like to go, go connect to your LinkedIn, because I think one of the things you guys do really well is just sort of talk about what your program offering is and demonstrate who's using it and who's talking about it. I think I, I just follow Emma Payne, but the, which is with a Y and I'll put that in, in the show notes, but I, it's not like you're this is one exercise bike. This is a different exercise bike. And you can only buy one of them because they both cost $1,300. You know, when, when I hear, and this is, I'm just going to say this, I worked in social science and I, and I collected a lot of data and collated a lot of data and wrote reports on data. I don't love the statistics that make it sound like everybody mostly is okay except this real small percentage of people. And like, they're the ones who need help. I, from a trauma model, come into it with, put it all in your, in the back of the trunk, mm -hmm. put, put the thermos full of hot chocolate and the lemonade, because we don't know what the weather's going to look like. Get, you know, the bathing suits and also the snow boots. I want it all in the trunk because, because what I know is that we can't actually study bereavement well because people are poor reports of their own emotional experience. They're, they both over-report and under-report. And at least in the Western culture, we do not think bereavement is a good thing. And so people generally, I just don't trust it. And I know George Bonanno, who did all the research on this, like one day he and I are going to meet and he's going to say, I heard you were talking smack about me. But that, as a, as a trauma-informed therapist, that is my deepest belief, is that what I say to people is, listen, if you have these symptoms, you know, you're not sleeping, you have brain fog, you can't eat, you kind of are annoyed at everyone. You, anytime somebody says, I'm going to see my dad for his 80th birthday, you think, well, screw you. How come you get your dad for 80 years? All of that is typical in grief and may feel better if you had more support. 
And so that, you know, I don't think people have to earn their way with terrible symptoms, which is why I love grief. But that's the way we make it sound. Every time somebody cites those statistics, they make it sound like if you have enough friends and you're, you kind of have a good family, you should be fine. And I really work hard to say, nobody taught you how to grieve. Nobody's making any space for you to grieve. Other grievers, people say should be great at it. They're only great at it if they have resolved their experience with grief in a way that makes them not want to avoid you because you're triggering their feelings. So I think there's a lot of like made up stuff about what, when it's okay and when it isn't. And I actually have never met anyone when I get down to it and I say, what was the grieving like? Did you feel really well supported? I have never met anyone that was like, I had exactly what I needed. I didn't need a single morsel more. So when I'm working with clients, what I say is worst case scenario, you don't use it. Worst case scenario, you decide it's garbage. Worst case scenario, you have a journal that you give to somebody else because it didn't work out for you. And I feel like grief coach, let's say you go five days in a row and you're like, whatever, that text didn't do it. But then on the sixth day, this gorgeous little text that has been scripted by somebody who had a similar comes in and it rings all the bells for you, which has been my experience. I have had some texts where I'm like, oh, it's nice, whatever. And then I've had ones where I'm like, oh man, that, that just feels like this was written by a friend or something that I would write. So again, I just sort of feel like, you know, your price point is really reasonable, <laughs> It's so affordable and it is, you're not inundating people. You are, it is a, it is a gentle touch to go along with meeting your friend at the movies, going to see a therapist, maybe talking to your rabbi, maybe writing in a journal, maybe don't you think? Absolutely. That's, that's how I always, I, it's funny because I've, I've heard and been met with some resistance by clinicians really who have been like, well, you know, how effective can a text be? Like, like a text can in no way, shape or form do the, the quality of work that I do. And I'm like, correct. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, I don't think anybody's disputing. I don't think anybody's disputing that, but you're not available to a griever multiple days a week. You're not available to extend your, your thoughts, your wishes for every client that you see on their important holidays and anniversaries and birthdays and over the holidays when you're wanting to be with your family and click off your therapist hat. That's where we come in. That's we right. come in to actually supplement the, the good work that you're already doing and just provide the extra kind of handholding in between sessions, right? There's so many clients that will say, after I feel so good after a session, but then for until my next session, it's like I'm holding my breath. Yeah. It's like I can, I can barely breathe. I can barely wait to get to the next session. I'm crumbled by the time I get to my next session. You know, imagine if you will, that we put in a gap filler here. We put in a bridge that allows somebody to gently kind of walk through their week. So that way, by the time they get into session, instead of them completely kind of being overwhelmed with their emotions, they're actually in better control and able to kind of articulate what they've gone through because they've had opportunities to release pressure along the way because grief coach really does provide that. It feels so funny to me, although, you know, I think people can get edgy about whatever their corner of expertise is, but, you know, therapists in general, 
we, we resource out all kinds of stuff, you know, (laughs) read this book, how about this journal, try this exercise practice, do this breathing work. So when you're met with resistance, that's suspicious to me because I feel like, I mean, you know, maybe they don't fully understand what the service is offering, because I don't think, I don't think there's a thing about how it's written or described by any of your team that makes it sound like, and now you will never need any human interaction. I mean, at the root of what we know about humans is that we are wired for connection. I think we're, I think what your work is maybe saying without saying is that the amount of need is so high. I was talking about this with David Kessler the other day that when my mom died, I could not believe how I wanted everyone to ask me how I was all the time. And yet I had actually heard that from clients that like horrifying overshare when the guy at Starbucks is like, Oh, how are you today? And you're like, Oh my God, well, my dog just died. And his look on that guy's face is like, lady, I did not want to know that. But when you're in deep grief, it's like pouring out of you. And so, you know, again, I, I have, I want the net to be as wide as possible. And I feel really grateful for anybody that is able to be part of that net in any kind of way. When, when I didn't know it at the time, but when my mom died, you know, my people, they created this little text chain. So that they could, you know, not everybody had to be, but I didn't even know that. I just was like, oh, that's so nice. Rachel keeps texting me. I didn't know that she was on Tuesdays. I didn't even notice. And I, and I feel like, again, if somebody's edgy about it, they don't get it because what you're offering is again, this really nice price point filled with a lot of expertise. You guys aren't just pulling from Megan's book, Megan Devine's book, which my readers know it's okay. You're not okay, but it's such a great, you know, she is, she does this all day long. So for her to create new content for you guys to use is in my mind, a gift. And it's not supposed to mean, well, now you don't need your husband's help. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what, that's not what it is. It's if you can't get your husband on the phone or you just talk to your husband, but you're still feeling edgy and uncomfortable and sad. Here's just another little way that your grief can be validated and held and seen and known and and normalized. Well, you know what? There wouldn't even be this service if there weren't so many people having this experience. Correct. It's funny. So you mentioned Shelby for Cynthia, who we're really honored and lucky to have as one of our team members here, but she's also, also an author and in her book, and then also on a few podcasts, I've seen her talk about how as a griever, you're burdened not only to bear your own grief, but you're also burdened to actually educate and teach others on how to support you. And it just becomes really hard and tiresome for a griever to have to constantly tell people what it is that you expect them to do in order to show up for you every day. Uh, And I just think that that is not only very true, but also I think, oh my gosh, we're so lucky because Grief Coach actually eliminates that burden. And I'll share with you a story of a case of this. Sarah, who's also was a former user of Grief Coach, and she's now staff for us. And when her dad died two years ago, she looked for support, found us online, signed up for Grief Coach, signed her husband up for Grief Coach to receive texts so how he could support her. She didn't 
inquire about the texts that he was receiving in any way, never read them, but she said, I instantly just noticed he just started acting differently. He treated my me differently, my grief, he became more like communicative around my dad. And, and then she said on my birthday, he actually made dinner reservations at my dad's favorite restaurant. Oh and God. that was like so incredible. And she goes, and I'm not going to lie, like my husband would have never have done that. Yeah. She's like, so I already know that that was a, a grief coach text. I don't know when and how and how it came, but I just know that that had to have been something that you coached him on because he would have never have done that on his own accord. But she goes, but I can't tell you how meaningful it was for me and how loved I and cared for it. I felt in that moment, just knowing that, that that was the action that he took. And I just am like, yes, it's, it's so true. We literally help educate and mentor supporters so that way the griever doesn't have to constantly tell people what it is that they need we just offer them suggestions and then supporters knowing their friends best or their family members best will take those ideas and choose when to actually utilize them but it's more so of just the prompt to saying hey this is actually a very you know intentional thing that you can do or that you can say so Mary Frances O'Connor, who wrote the mm-hmm. brain, she talks about how our, what, what all that brain fog is about and sort of what is going on with us physically is that our brain is trying to update the information as fast as it can. And every griever knows that moment where you wake up in the morning for 13 seconds, you don't remember that the person died and then you get hit by it. Eventually that stops. It stops because your brain updates the information. Mm-hmm. And we do this in lots of ways. We drive to our old house, even though we have a new house, we will do it and we will get there, but it takes as long as it takes. So in that moment, I can't tell you what's going to help me because I don't even know who I am in this moment because the way that I was nine, nine days ago has sort of been destroyed. It's like a hurricane and I don't even know what chairs are helpful to sit in. So the well-meaning people that say, what can I do for you? I don't even know who the you is. I don't know who I am, so I can't answer the question. And and maybe even what you could have done for me when I could have answered the question won't wouldn't work anymore. You come, so I really like company. I'm pretty extroverted. I could not tolerate people being near me when my mother died because I felt so exposed, like this little naked mole rat. I didn't mm. feel like myself and I didn't want to be not myself in front of people. So so even if you had asked me when I was regulated before my mom died, what do you think would be helpful? I would have said to you, well, people coming over to take a walk with me and none of it was correct. And I have also heard Shelby talk about it. I love sort of the honesty around, listen, well-meaning people are trying to do things and that's really hard. And when you're grieving, it's too hard to teach the rest of the world what to do. Mm-hmm. The grievers do have to kind of say, no, that doesn't work but they don't actually have enough curiosity online. I mean, that has to do with what's going on with the brain, like that part of your brain. Let me think about what could be helpful. It's, it, it's not getting any circuitry. Mm-hmm. And so, and so you, not only is it, it is not nice thing to ask somebody to do because they just need to be in their grief. They don't need to be a teacher to you. Also their capacity to do it is not gonna be great. So asking the people who are around to be thoughtful and creative, that makes more sense. But the example that you're talking about, her husband would have never thought of that. 
So you can't rely on people to suddenly be humble and creative. So one thing I always do on this podcast is I say to folks, tell me the thing that was the most amazing that anyone did and tell me the thing that was the worst. So that anyone who's listening can just have an example of something that was great and something that was terrible. So that when you find yourself in the territory of having to show up in some kind of way, you have in the back of your mind, I probably shouldn't knit them a baby blanket because that made that lady cry and throw up. But maybe, you know, maybe I should stop by with movies from her childhood because somebody really liked, you know, rewatching The Little Mermaid. Can't agree with you more. I, I love that you, in your work, ask what is helpful and what is not helpful. And I also will say that we do a lot of social listening as well. That's part of the like integral work that we do. And one of the things that I just find so compelling about Emma's leadership is that we take the stance that we are actual learners in this space. We, we don't consider, we may draw from what people deem as experts in the industry, but we ourselves don't consider ourselves the, the ultimate expert. We, we are always learning. If we get feedback on a text, for example, from a subscriber that says, you know, I think that you might consider changing this word in here because this is the word that like, I got hung up on. Our team instantly, our content team instantly goes back, looks at it, reads it, reviews it, and then are just like, you're absolutely right. We'll let the subscriber know that their feedback literally helps change the way that we now inform our text. And then we make the changes and then send it out moving forward. You know, when it makes sense, when the feedback makes sense, when, you know, when people are telling us what it is that they need, our job is to launch into action and say, you know what, that is a missing piece. You talked about brain fog. We, we know that brain fog is a common theme in a griever's experience. So we have several texts that talk about, you know, brain fog. What is it, you know, or grief brain, if you will. And, you know, what does that mean for you? And then how, what are some strategies that you might put in place to help you kind of gain some more control over that experience, right? Because it's, it's not about completely eradicating or eliminating the experience because that would be really hard for a text to do. But what we do do is just say, here are some things that you might consider trying if you find yourself not knowing what to do, for example. Right, so, I mean, and I love, so the phrase, you're, you're called grief coach, right? And so the concept of, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm, I'm here to help you grow into your capacity to do this, which is, I, I, you know, people say to me like, oh God, you do grief all day long. Isn't that like a bummer? And it's not a bummer for me at all because I really feel like I'm having a conversation about hope all the time. And like, that may sound corny, but that really is my experience that I am not married, even as someone who was trained as an academic, has a bunch of letters after her name, took really complicated treatment modality trainings that I'd be able to work with people who have very specific symptomatic. I'm, if you tell me that coloring in mandalas is really helping you with your grief, I'm going to put that in my pocket of things to suggest to other people. Because that makes sense to me. Coloring is a mindfulness practice and we know my, you know, so as much as I can sort of like thread it together and say, yeah, actually we just need to be moving this energy around and your instinct of what would work for you 
is what we're looking for, because I can tell you right now, I am not going to do what one of my clients did, which is trained to become an iron woman. That sounds like the worst thing ever, but I know enough about, you know, sort of like, oh, you know, sometimes the way the grief shows up is this mother load of energy that needs to move and to shift. And I'll tell you that sometimes part of the reason I think working with folks who are grief informed, so not just a therapist, but having grief informed practice, be where, be where you are consuming your, your tidbits of coaching is that, you know, when there's a mother load of energy in someone's system and they have not experienced profound loss, sometimes what therapists do to show up for that mother load of energy is we resist it. Mm. You know, right. Like we say like, well, you know, if someone comes in and says, Megan, I, I really am. I'm just totally out of sorts and I'm super anxious. And I think my solution should be moving to Arizona, cutting my hair, breaking up with my husband and getting a new job. Therapists are trained to say, Whoa, slow down, slow down with that. But in grief work, what we know is it makes so much sense that this is the amount of energy that's going on for you. Because when you are untethered from, you have got to figure out how to put the, your feet in front of you. And it does actually sometimes require a lot of energy. For some people, it might require a lot of stillness. Both things make sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then how do we show up for it? So the, the notion that you might say, hey, you could try this or try that, you know, in trauma work, that's what we're doing all the time. What we're doing in trauma work is we're saying, let me give you the biophysicality of what's going on inside your brain and your body. Let me explain to you how your brain and your body communicate with each other. So it's not made up when people are like, I don't know about that brain body connection. What they're telling you is they just don't know because mm-hmm. the brain body connection is an absolute thing. And what we're asking folks to do is to say, are, are you feeling too activated? But at some point when we are integrating loss, when we're not totally stuck, when we aren't calling it a mental health diagnosis, people are putting bricks underneath their feet and walking on them at the same time. And knowing that they're going to have a hand sculpted, crafted from a team of people. I mean, listen to what you're talking about. All your team is built of people who have consumed your product. I mean, how, how special is that? It's such a gift. It really is. I mean, and, and I think that one of the things that you're presenting here for listeners to hear is that there truly isn't one way or one strategy that will work here. And in grief, you know, we're called to really pull on some very diverse, perhaps even unusual or unorthodox coping strategies that may fall out of what our westernized view tends to just say, these set of things work well. One of the things that I love about our our text in particular is that we will often blend Western and Eastern views of coping and strategies together because we, we really recognize that, you know, journaling isn't going to be for everyone. Right. right. And so, so if, if our constant, you know, strategy that we're pushing out is journaling, we're going to miss the boat on supporting that an insane amount of people who just can't bring themselves to actually do journaling. But if we say, you have the option to go journaling and perhaps have you ever considered walking barefoot in nature and taking some short deep breaths in and just smelling the earth around you. And if we blend those two kind of ideologies together, we then now give 
choice and we expand people's vision on what coping actually can look like for them. I love that. And, you know, I think there are some things out there that are like, look, and when, when this happens with a griever, you know, don't do this, or you have to do that, or be sure to never say this. And I, you know, I do think there are a couple of things like, you know, everything happens for a reason, which we should never say, or don't cite the, the you know, the stages of grief because they don't exist. Like, I do think there are some things that are just they they have a little line of sort of ignorance underneath them that if we were doing better overall sort of grief informed education, people would just, you know, it's like saying the world is flat. Like we, nobody says that anymore. There were a lot of people that believe that we updated the information. And I do think there's some stuff in grief and loss where when people say it, for example, the phrase when people use died by suicide instead of committed suicide, you know, th- there are died by suicide is what happened. And we have gotten all the information from people who hear that other language as an assault that we just should never use it anymore. So it, you know, it, it, it's outdated and it, and you know, it will become outdated, but I think one of the things that is, you know, critical is this idea that we say to folks, it's really for you to invent that we don't walk around saying, listen, sprints, that's the best exercise. Everyone needs to do sprints. Because if you have a bad knee, don't do sprints. I think about this a lot when when my kids were little. They're now 14, 12, and 10. But all three of them have very strong gag reflexes. So I read those books about how to help little babies cry it out. Mm. And so, you know, you give them their milk and you put them in the crib and then you just let them cry it out. Yeah, but what do you do if they vomit all over themselves, book? From crying, what do you do then? That's not in there. That's not even suggested in, it's not even in the appendix. It's just like, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And what I think sometimes happens in grief and loss, when people are going to look for answers is that they need to be sort of redirected back into the system, which is your griever is inventing it. They don't know anything either They're It's real-time learning and you are real-time learning. And so there's an element in there of sort of like, that's freeing. And when you're looking at a book and it says, say this, think to yourself, how do I believe that would land with my griever? Mm. And is that authentic to me? I had a conversation, you know, it's months ago now with a friend who was like, I got to go and I'm making something. And I was like, what do you mean you're making something? She was like, oh, I'm cooking something because, you know, somebody had a crisis. And I was like, you're cooking something? She was like, yeah, they put me on the sign of genius. And I was like, who put you on the sign of genius? You, you're a terrible cook. And this is going to be really hard for you, but she's amazing at a lot of other things, like a lot of other concrete things, like fixing your garage door. So I was like, how did you end up cooking? And she said, I know I should have said no. And I was like, circle back and say, no, you just bring, bring something, send something. But I think people, because they're, they think, well, this is grief. And it's, and we're supposed to bring food and I have to do, you're you're not supposed to do anything. And the example I use all the time is that one of my dear friends sent me a pair of pink suede Adidas sneakers when my dad died. And the note said, death sucks. These sneakers do not. And that was the note. (laughs) And I wear them all the time. And I think of her all the time. And 
You know, I think that what you are offering and what I think is the most important is empowering people to say, I want this to feel good for me. And I don't know what that is yet as a supporter. And I need to invent that part of myself because I've never been this before to this person in this way on this day. And I have to appreciate that they are doing the same that they are inventing their own part as a griever as well. And I really feel like as someone who receives the grief coach texts, that whether or not you guys did that intentionally, that is what you're doing. Is a little bit like, well, what about this? And have you thought about that? Along with these really supportive, loving, you know, of affirmations of hard days. And it's, I mean, it's just really incredibly put together. It's, it's funny. Thank you. And I, I fully believe in how intricate it really is too as a system, but you, what you just described though is so consistent with some of the literature around social support. Much of it anchors in on, you know, grievers need supporters that are capable of providing the certain support that they are trying to extend, right? Like your friend is probably capable of fixing a door over cooking. And then also like, is that support like perceived as helpful from the griever? Probably the more helpful type of support that your friend could have done was fixing the door over providing the mill, right? But it's like, it's so critical to recognize that if you are a supporter, if you're a listener listening in, like you're know, recognizing where's your skill set, and then offering your support that falls in your wheelhouse in terms of capability and, and recognizing like how even you in your skill set, even as nuanced as it could be, can provide value to a griever when it comes. Because I can tell you almost every skill set will be needed on a journey in grief. Right, like, because nothing's like- off the table. Right. And, and also when you think about it, it's very intimate, right? Like loss, profound loss is a very intimate raw space. It made me feel like a naked mole rat. And, and again, I I feel like it's important to say to people, like I trained in grief and loss. I have been doing this work. You know, my childhood is, was partnered with really tremendous loss. So it's, it's been in my life forever and I've studied it concrete and I still screw up. I had a conversation with some, a good friend of mine who I've known since middle school and he lost his dad. And this was a really complicated moment. And I feel like one that, that, that fell out in this way because of who we are to each other. And because of, we both do helping profession kind of jobs, but he essentially, I've been texting him and he sent me a note that was like, you feel invisible to me. What is up? And I was like, damn. And I am invisible to him because watching the experience and being connected to the experience of him losing his dad feels so close to me losing my dad. I loved his father and he loved my father and it, he's, you know, he has sent me, he sent me a picture of his dad in the hospital with his watch. And I know his dad and his wrist is tiny and his watch is big. And that's not what I remember in my life. And I have the same picture of my dad with his wrist in his watch. So of course I had to pick up the phone and say, you're right. I'm not there. I'm not doing a good job. And also this is so hard, but as a human it's, I'm kind of getting dragged under the water 
and, and I have some, uh, you know, my grief turned into some mental health stuff that I have to be careful for my, and God love him. He was like, that really sucks for me. And that hurts, but I get it. And I understand it. And let's just muddle through together. So I'm a, I, I stepped in a little bit, but I, but that's not the average bear kind of conversation. Right. And I think there are other times where, I don't know, you give me a butterfly pin, pin for my birthday. And I was hoping, I don't know, for a hammer. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever, you know, she, Melissa did the best she could. She was trying to be thoughtful, but she's not great at that. When I am in grief, in profound grief, the fact that you got it wrong actually can feel like a secondary loss for both mm. And so just trying to increase our skill set, I kind of created this, these series of 10 questions and they're questions to ask grievers. And they're, you know, they're, they're not dissimilar to what you guys have, but one of them is like, do you have a faith base that's helping? Is there someone who's shown up and it's been a surprise? Is there someone who hasn't shown up and it's been a surprise? Is there something that someone's done that's really been helpful? Are you watching any TV that, you know, is, is good? Can you read or are you one of those people that reading isn't working right now, just sort of, you know, how's your memory? Are you doing those things? I threw my American express card away like five times after my mom died and American express still won't give me a credit card. I think because they thought I was selling them on the black market, but I just asked those questions as an entry point, because what you learn there is, do they want to talk or not? Do they want to connect or not? Because I think it's, a, it's an intimate space and we have to co-create the space. Oh, and I feel like one of the things that's so beautiful about grief coaches, you guys are doing the tap out. Yes. And if someone wants to pull that in, they can. And if they don't want to, which was a lot of my experience, like, I don't want to, I see that text from that person. I want to talk to them. At least from grief coach, you're not like going to get a text from your sorority sister in five days. Like, well, I've been texting you. Why haven't you responded? I just get to consume it, pull it in and take it in for whatever is good and whatever isn't good. I don't need to, it, it, whatever didn't land with me. It doesn't matter. I, I, it's just a gift when it does. Mm, yes. I, I totally agree with that. I always say that, you know, sometimes we'll get messages that, you know, we'll come back and just say like, oh, well, you know, that actually isn't part of my experience. And for, you know, our response is like, okay, that's, that's Okay. It doesn't need to be a part of your experience. We're just kind of throwing out very central, general, common experiences that may or may not be part of your experience. Totally. I have a free writing workshop where I use prompts. And, you know, again, people are like, this one didn't land with me. And I'm like, I know that's, you know, when when you and I are not creating a friendship of discussion, the co-creation is a little clumsy. So just skip this prompt and move on to the next one. And that's okay. But I think that can be painful if there is no other outlet, right? And so, you know, I refer people to other people's paid platforms that are writing workshops or Zoom links or Instagram lives, or because we want to have a multi-layered sort of energetic net. That is going to be really connected and some, and I, again, I feel like this is the one that people haven't been able to have. I can't remember every day to text every person I know who's grieving. And this is grief is my full-time job. So to be able to sign up or to gift them a membership or suggest that other people give them a membership, then that, that actually is, that's an act of love. It's, it's a way of considering them. 
is, yeah, it truly is. I mean, it's, we naturally feel inclined in the first month of bereavement to send flowers and make food and, you know, help with duties, which are all very helpful, but they are implying that there's this very short time span or this, this acute grief, there's nothing that actually happens after that acute grief, right? But like, we know that grief is far more longstanding than that, right? So it's like, when, when you think about, at least for me, when I think about where, where is my support going to be most helpful and most instrumental? And it's often for me personally, not in the first few weeks of somebody's grief journey, but really I help with like that long-term support and I think grief coach is also that it's, you know, by all means, please continue to show up for your family and friends in the first few months. But when you no longer can, when your actual resources as a supporter have been maximized, then you can, you know, purchase something like grief coach for your griever and still be a part of the support process along with them. And it's like, what a great gift, a great long-term gift that is just, like you said, so affordable and so easy for people to access. Because the reality is, is like the texts just come. You have complete control over when you read those texts. You want to read them right when they come? Great. You want to wait until you can get into kind of a grief space. Maybe that's later in the evening or in the morning when you drink your coffee or on the weekends, maybe in a couple of weeks. You know, the great thing about text is that there becomes this inherent and embedded like archive of grief messages that people can just kind of refer back to. We got people that text us if they accidentally delete the thread, they like panic and send us an email and just say, can you send us all my, all of my messages? And it's like, we're sending hundreds of messages to somebody in an email. And I'm like, are you sure you want all these messages? And they're like, yes, that's what I refer back to when I'm wanting to actually go into my grief space. And so it's, you know, it's, this weird lifeline that is really tied to kind of this perceived sense of support, which we know has psychological, like well-being outcomes, right? When people feel supported, whether that be by their support network, by others, by people who they didn't expect to kind of show up or by services, that really does make a difference. You said this right at the beginning too. You know, I do think it is... I think there are some things that are really true about talking to people who have had a similar experience with loss that you have, that it's not about comparing grief. It's about feeling understood. And so, and particularly, I think this is true for parents who have lost children that, you know, what happens when you're losing a child, when a child dies, you are losing this entire future in a way that is not the same. It's like this temporal difference. You know, my dad was 80 when he died. I really didn't, I wasn't feeling the loss of all the things he wasn't going to participate in. I I lost the history of us, Uh but, but when you lose a child, you know, it is a very different kind of pain. And when you lose someone because to, to suicide or to overdose or to homicide, or, you know, there are unique pieces in that, that when somebody's in a regular old support group, they often hold back and, and maybe isn't acknowledged. And I have seen some of the ways in which you all make sure to sort of tune, fine tune 
how you're showing up. So, you know, I don't know that that's like a necessity for individuals to be able to, to, to be able to do on our own. And I'm not really sure if we can, right? Like, I don't know that I can understand what it's like for my friend who lost her brother to, you know, gun violence, because that is not an experience that I have had, but I really want her to have whatever support lands the most with her. And again, my brain might not come up with that. So the fact that you guys are talking to all of the people, again, if I could encourage people to go look at your website and see who the people are that are informing you and it's, oh, you know, it's continuing to grow. You guys are growing exponentially across the globe. I mean, I just think that that, I think you're providing something that, that has so much potential to be helpful. And honestly, it's a, it's a low level miss if it's a miss. Right. It doesn't do damage if it's a miss. Whereas if somebody goes out of their way, I don't know, to get me vegan meals for a year and I'm not a vegan, like that's a high level miss that's costing somebody a lot of money and they want me to be grateful and happy. And I'm not that, that the notion of grief coach. And that's when, since I've been recommending it, what I have heard back from people is that often people don't use it themselves. They will then use it gifted to someone else. And what they'll say is, well, the person was really touched. I mean, it's such an incredibly unique and specialized grief gift to say, I think you might need some support. I think you deserve it. I would want you to have it. I don't know that I'm going to be the one who's perfect at it. It's really, it is, it's a blend of so much goodness together with a lot of high integrity, intentional support, you know, it's, you did mention like various different modes or ways that people die. And of course we have a very extensive kind of drop down menu of being able to select all the things that you can think of, you know, COVID, suicide, cancer, homicide, sudden infant, death of a child or an infant and natural causes, anything you can, accidents, drug overdose, all of the things you can think of. And many of those particularly suicide, homicide, drug overdose, you know, are often considered disenfranchised forms of grief, right? And Kendoka says, you know, how do you, how do you support somebody who's feeling disenfranchised? You enfranchise them. And our way, it's our, it's our small little way of, you know, enfranchising some people by putting people who know what it's like to have a homicide death in front of them and giving their wisdom to them. It's, you know, it's just, something that you're right, our team, although we have incredible deep bereavement experience on our team, almost everybody on our team either has lived or clinical or a combination of both experience, grief experience. We don't cover all categories, all types of lost things like that across the board. But what we can do is extend out our social reach and just say, who has a heart to be in front of these people? So that way we can start to enfranchise them and normalize their experience and provide them tools and make them feel seen in their grief in a way that maybe maybe they're not in their own you know, small world. Right. And I think, you know, we know that the, the consequences of isolation on people's health, just in general, loneliness on someone's health. Now we double that down with COVID, right? And then we triple it down with loss. Any way that we can make someone feel like they are seen and known. I mean, that's my mind. That's why I read books and memoirs. It's, you know, what I'm connecting with when I'm talking to people. It's how I select in with friendships. It's 
but, but I do think there's something really special. You know, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts lately and they've been talking about things like horoscopes and why are horoscopes possible? It's because they help you feel seen and known. They wouldn't be popular if they didn't land in a way that, oh God, that's, so that's who I am and that's what I do. And again, I go back to, we are becoming something brand new not because we chose it, but because we have no choice. We are like a refugee in our own territory Mm. in grieving. And so anything that says to you, Hey, I see you like, Hey, doesn't it feel like this? Hey, that is like the hope, which is, Oh, okay. Well, if that person knows it's like this, if, if that text says it's like this, you know, what I say to people is you survived hundred percent of the days of the thing that you thought you never could. Mm-hmm. And the statistics only get better over time. So I, I am, I am really personally grateful to know of the work that you all are doing. And I'm excited to see how it continues to formulate and shift and change and, and whatever resistance you get from the therapeutic community, I apologize for, because I feel like, listen, the people that I see are truly the ones, you know, I, I, I've just written a book about this where it's like, listen, you can see a grief coach, you can see a rabbi, you can talk to your mother-in-law, except if this is going on, this is going on, you need treatment. So I feel like, look, if there was anyone that was going to be like, well, you can't use this thing. It would be me because the people that come to see me And I would never say that because to me, what you are offering is not in lieu of, it is in addition to, and I want, I want a trunk full of tools. And then I want you to come back and tell me which ones were great and which ones weren't. And then like Sherlock Holmes, we'll cull the, you know, we don't have to have so many things in the trunk of the car, but that is what grief requires. And you guys are filling really, there's not 125 different services for this. You guys are really uniquely bringing into a space, you know, where there's been a dearth, something that I think has high quality value. How can people find out about you and, and the service and, and, you know, how your plans work and all of that? What's the best way for them to get in touch? So the best way is just to use good old Google. And if you have access to internet, we're also on social media platforms. So if you are just wanting even to even learn just small little skills, our Instagram really often will put out little tidbits for, you know, how do you support grievers or how do you, how can, you know, grievers support themselves? So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, we're all on all those platforms, but grief.coach will actually give you the best kind of foot forward in terms of learning about how you can either sign up individually to receive grief coach. You can gift it to somebody, or if you're an agency or a corporation and you'd like to, you know, purchase subscriptions to either give to your employees, because we know that grief in the workplace is just this huge kind of also area where we need to really focus some attention and, or maybe your grief center and you serve communities, for example, or healthcare, and you want to extend some form of support. Those are all going to be ways that you can reach out to us. That's so great. So I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you for the work that you're doing and please extend that to the team. I just, you know, anybody that's in the world of grief and loss, that's trying to take their hardship and transform it into something that gives back into the 
communities. I, I just think there's a real hope because the need is so high for us to shift some of the lack of education and to build some infrastructure. Thank you so much for this gorgeous conversation.